This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 169 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Finish Line Fencing, the original and only warranted horse fence of its kind. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have a beautiful set of people. I think these equine artists are going to make you excited about the fact that people are out there documenting our beautiful horses and just exciting us with them. And then another media genius is Elsa Sinclair with Taming Wild, the movie, the documentary that she made. So I'm really excited about that. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello, Debbie. An inspiring show coming up, yes? It is. It's really fun. I mean, it's kind of taking the left field. We're not going to be doing any horse training, but we're going to talk a lot about horses. And then Elsa Sinclair, who our, our guest is, our second guest, is going to train us about her horse. So really fun. I've got, you know, Kim, my friend at at Finish Line Fencing, introduced me to Elson Sinclair. She lives up in this beautiful area off the coast of Washington. And it's just ideal setting, beautiful setting for horses. And she made this documentary like over time, you know, so you get to see yeah, this the is a long term project. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so beautiful. I just hope people get, everybody should be able to see it. And, uh, and taming wild. I mean, doesn't everybody want to see somebody tame a well, wild see, horse? You, this is one of the, I just got goosebumps. One of the most mm. fascinating topics I have come across when it comes to how humans are, evolving how they develop relationships with horses that I've heard since I first saw Monty do join up with a horse. Cause that was like, Oh, earth shattering. Oh my God. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that could happen. That's like magic. Not really, but it seemed like it at the time. And the way she thought out of the box and said, you know, I'm going to commit literally years of my life into studying this and and it seems magical and it's all warm and fuzzy but yet she is such a linear scientific thinker you know it's it it's a fantastic combination of the two you know the the warm and fuzzy but no this this isn't just warm and fuzzy magic stuff there's something going on here that can be repeatable and it's a great conversation this this is one debbie you need to write this one down this needs to be on your american horse publication annual Ooh, awards list. We're going to submit this one. You okay. do, because that All is right. a fascinating conversation. Very nice. Thank you, Kim, for introducing us, because it, the challenge was made and taken and beautifully laid out. Yeah, well, you know, Finish Line Fencing had a challenge, too. They made amazing fencing because it's like, you know, we mm-hmm. need to make fencing that's good for horses, fencing that's good for people, fencing that's good for people who have to install and repair fencing. Mm-hmm. So that's what mm-hmm. they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just got to add this too. We get the nicest letters and we really do. And I appreciate people, you know, when you say at the end of our shows, hey, please give us feedback, you know, write us and tell us how 
how we're doing and, and give us ideas for other shows. Yeah. And that's that we're getting more and more of that. But I wanted to read something from Nicole. You have a second? I'm I do. read this from Nicole. Okay, from Knoxville, Tennessee. It's a great story. She says, hi, Debbie, I'm a civil engineer and things can get tedious and boring. So I listen to you while I design roads and bridges. I've been riding for about 16 years and I just got my first horse. Thanks to HRN, Horse Radio Network, I am learning so much about horses and how to best take care of my COVID pony. So she's got a pony <laughs> during COVID time. And I feel like my new catchphrase to my horse husband is, I learned X on horse podcast today, or according to my horse podcast, Horsemanship Radio, I learned, you know, and she she puts these quotes in here. Now he beats me to it. And he asked me what was on the podcast each day. Well, <laughs> we, might have, we might have a convert in the making, she says. Special thanks to Jamie, that's Jamie Jennings, for introducing me to Monty Roberts. I was afraid the mare um, I got was a lemon at first. But after just one training session with the Dooley Halter, she was like a totally different horse. So much more respectful and enjoyable to be around. You and the entire HRN make a such a difference in many people and horses' lives. We are extremely grateful. That's Nicole from Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you, Nicole. (laughs) It is nice. Very nice. It's really cool that Horsemanship Radio and the other podcasts on the Horse Radio Network are able to bring quality information to people that also is uplifting. It's not uplifting necessarily. It's sometimes it's uplifting because it's a, an inspiring story, but it's also it can also be uplifting sometimes because it's presented in a fun way. It's it's joyous because that's why we have horses around because they bring us peace and joy in so many ways. Absolutely, and and I thank Finish Line Fencing. Let's hear from them right now for their support of this program. Good stuff. Well, I'm here with Kim and Lisa. I'm really excited to talk to them a little bit about finish line fencing. You are a little different than things that I'd been seeing out there. And I'm always trying to problem solve with different areas. We have 80 acres here on the farm. So I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about finish line fencing. Hi, Debbie. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Finish Line itself has actually been out for over 30 years now, and you've probably seen it all over the place, but you just never realized it was Finish Line. So it's kind of like the next generation of fencing. One of the best things I think uh, Finish Line has to offer people is that when they're getting, you know, having a farm is just a lot of work, as we all know. And this, this type of fencing is absolutely zero maintenance. So basically what they do, it's lightweight. You can install it yourself very quickly. It works with any type of posts. So it's very simple and can work in a lot of different situations. But the best thing about it is once you install it, you really never have to retention the the material. So it's pretty much your one and done. And it can handle any type of environment. It can handle the the sun and the UV rays that's UV inhibited throughout. Or if you are up in the freezing cold at the top of a mountain, it can handle all of that snow and have no effect on the finish line itself. Yeah, I I don't know of another kind of fencing that can do that. Well, I have a lot of friends who have acreage that they really scratch their heads when it comes to have to put in fencing. And it sounds like this actually is a solve. So you can actually check out our website. It is finishlinefence.com. Our Facebook page is Finish Line Fence. Um, or give us a call. Our number is 877-625-6100.
Elsa Sinclair is a professional horse trainer and instructor who brings to the horse world a unique and powerful perspective. Gathering together awareness from a variety of equine disciplines, Elsa has an enthusiasm for discovering and developing what it takes for both sides of a human-equine partnership to fully enjoy the process of learning and growing in the direction of their goals. Well, welcome, Elsa Sinclair. I wanted to get you on. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Debbie, for inviting me to join you. Oh, I'm so glad we got connected through friends and acquaintances and colleagues. I mean, your your Taming Wild has gone around my circles, and um, I've been remiss to not have you on and get people knowing about it. Because when did you make this documentary about horses? So I actually filmed it about eight years ago. And then as these projects happen, um, when I was done with the filming, I was broke and I had no money. So oh. all the footage went on the shelf for about four years. Oh, shame. Yep. And then about four years later, I did a great big Kickstarter and I got backers and I managed to get the movie edited and out there. So um, yeah, it's been, I think, four or five years since we put the movie out and I have been just amazed at how much interest there is in the world for yeah. this sort of thing. I'm so glad. Well, I'm so glad that you, you know, were gritty and determined and you did it for us because tell tell people what the premise of the project was. So the premise started with a question from a student of mine. And I was teaching natural horsemanship at the time. And the student came to me and she said, do you really think horses like being ridden? And I said, yeah, I think they love it. And she said, no, I mean, if they knew they had a choice, would they want to be ridden by people? And I said, well, you know, I think there are Mustangs that come in off the range and they've had large independent lives. And then they learn to really enjoy being ridden by humans. And she asked me again, she said, but do you really think those horses knew they had a choice? And at that point, I was a little bit stuck. Mm -hmm. I said, I I don't, I'm not even really sure how we'd answer that question. And it got stuck in my head. And I thought, you know, has anybody ever really done this? Because usually there's some sort of a motivator to get horses to be ridden, whether it's a small space or food rewards or the pressure from a rope or a flag. Mm -hmm. I thought, is there anybody out there who's really not pressured a horse into being ridden? Mm -hmm. And I really had trouble finding anybody who had documented it anyway. So I went around telling all of my horse trainer friends that somebody should really do a project with them. <laughs> and somebody everybody should. laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually it became clear that none of my horse trainer friends were going to take me up on this uh, idea I had. And if anybody was going to do it, it was probably going to be me. Elsa. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, I mean, starting before that, you're, you're a horse girl from way back. When people watch the documentary, they'll see your ponies pony at least that started you off and you had multiple little nightmare ponies after that and so you're a real horse girl yeah (laughs) what drew you to the to the real shoeless bitless you know horsemanship honestly it was the very simple challenge of if it hasn't been done before somebody should try it Mm. more it was the novelty than anything else Uh, just like walking on the moon. If someone hasn't done it, you question, (laughs) is it possible? Mm -hmm. Good. And then as I started asking these questions of, 
is this possible? And I kept trying new avenues or slightly new things to try. I discovered that, yes, it was possible. And there were so many benefits that came along with it that I never expected. Mm-hmm. So you end up in Burns, Oregon. Let's start there a little bit. And just tell me about that first moment when you got out of the cab and you said, oh my gosh, there's so many horses to choose from. Yeah, we had gone down there. I had a a client who helped me out with this beginning of the project. The deal was he was going to choose a horse for himself that I was going to train for him. And then I was going to choose a horse for my movie project to experiment with this whole idea. If you really gave horses a choice, would they ever want to be ridden? Mm -hmm. And we pulled up into Burns and, you know, there are hundreds of horses there. And we spent hours and hours with binoculars, you know, saying, what about, you know, number 236? And what about this one? And my, my camera girl was with me and she was wonderful and she filmed it all. And I was really stuck. I I didn't know how to choose. Mm -hmm. And we went back to the hotel that night and we're looking at all the footage that uh, my camera woman had taken. And in so many shots, there's this one mare looking dead into the camera. And I thought, if, if that's the horse I need, clearly she's the one that wants to be a movie star. That's the one that should go home with me. Aww, so, yes. And so you adopted and you called her Myrna. My, my, yes. My, yeah. And, and Cleopatra went home too. Um, and, and I assume that there's another story in that one, but we'll s- stick with yours today. I loved how <laughs> when, you, when you started with her, that you... I mean, you literally started with no ropes, folks. There's a, a spit of a catch pin that you're in, but it's what? I mean, 100 by 100 or something? You're, it's, not, it's not small. So by law, you have to have six foot high fences when you get new muscles. Right. And I scrounged together all the fencing I could borrow from friends or manage to buy. Mm-hmm. And that ended up with a catch pen that was you know, it was long and narrow. So a lot of what you see looks like a sort of a 60 foot round pen, but it has a long extension that went to the barns and there were lots of ways for them to get away from me if they chose. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Tell me about this first thing, because we're not going to give away everything about it because people just have to see your documentary. Right. But I think, you know, that that was sort of profound to me when you said, when you looked away, you were being protective. So tell us about that, the eyes and the eye contact that you had. So this is actually an idea that I'd come up with years before when I got my very first Mustang from Nevada. And with her, I had taken a more traditional approach using tools. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I decided to experiment with was what if she was had no halter when I got her. So they did not put a halter on her at the Bureau of Land Management, but she came home loose. And I was never going to push her around the round pen. I wanted to see how long it would take her to get curious about me. And so I developed a really systematic way of looking at her when she was not interested in me. And that's that Mm -hmm. pressure of the eyes is very powerful with Mustangs. And then looking at the environment, like I was protecting her from all of the outside things anytime she was interested in me. And what I found is it was incredibly effective. If I got the timing right, she was very, very fast to say, I want to be on your team. Yeah. 
I, I love that perspective because a lot of people know about advance and retreat, and that's been talked about for years now, and pressure on, pressure off. But the perspective of your sort of becoming matriarch, if, if you will, but that you're a protector, glancing across yeah. the vista, I guess, you know, is that, that's how you felt. Yeah. Exactly. And I, it was really an experiment that I wanted to try, and I found it works so well on just so many horses that I've practiced with. And you, you also went on to talk about like moments of stillness. Uh, it was almost like a game of chicken a little bit, right? <laughs> that stillness, once, once she took that deep breath, then you knew that she was ready for some more pressure. Is that fair? Yes. So that's the really interesting thing. When we have tools or food or any motivators, you know, when they get a little bit calm, they're ready for more pressure. But if you take away all the motivators, if you put a little pressure on them every time they're calm, they stop acting calm because they feel like, well, I don't want to act too calm because then pressure is going to come and then they just leave. Yeah. So we really had to stretch things out in time so that when she became a little bit calm in the place where in ordinary training, you might put more pressure on, we had to just sit there and be still together and soak up the enjoyment of that moment. So that we were conditioning each other to look for those moments of harmony instead of avoid them. Okay. So at this point, I have to ask, like, how much time did you spend with her? How much did you need to spend with her? So, you know, this project was so close to my heart. Mm -hmm. I spent between four and six hours a day with her. Wow. So it was generally, you know, two or three hours in the morning and two or three hours in the evening. And, and I had, to, what's yeah. that? And then for how long? Sorry. So the project was a year. It was a year long. Okay. Now right. at the time I was still working as a natural horsemanship trainer in Seattle, which is several hours away from my home. So I would leave for two to three days every week to go work and then come back. So it was not every day of the week, but it was pretty intense during the days mm-hmm. of the week we did work. Yeah. It, and it looks like it, but I, it's so peaceful. I mean, I've, the fact that you have a forest around you that you will, you know, spoiler alert, eventually get to get out into still nothing, no motivators, no strings, no nothing. Right. I liked, I liked how the, the documentary went into the invitation to ride being her decision and people almost have to see that to understand it. But what, what was your, give us a little thumbnail on that one. So, Honestly, I got really lucky with, you know, a personality of a horse who was keen and interested and she loved new things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'd gotten a different personality of horse, this movie would have turned out very differently. But there was, you know, a place where we would start to introduce new things like me putting weight up on her back and she was curious and she was interested. Now, I made a lot of mistakes. That's what happens when you do anything for the first time. First time, yeah. And when you make mistakes, it makes for a good storyline in a movie, but some frustrating times for the trainer. And, you know, now I would do things really differently. But then it was just a matter of trial and error. When I felt like I got an invitation from her, I had to think, you know, how much is too much? How much do I take her up on that invitation? And how much do I back off before she feels overwhelmed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a beautiful part about how you figure out 
that between you, and it might be very personal just between you two, but that you've you've been reaching out to her so much to make that connection that the touching of your boot, once you're finally able to ride her, was like her, she touched your boot from her nose, asking for permission to stop. And that was very valuable, you said. Yeah. And this is something that without tools or motivators, I did borrow some of those ideas that come from clicker training and food reward in terms of a target. And so she very often used my hand or my foot as a target to say, could we make this a little easier? I didn't have any food to reward her with, but I certainly could just take a moment and take a breath. And that, you know, bridged into the same reinforcement ideas without having the power of a motivator. I love that. You stayed true to your your premise of the project too, which is not to use. So, and how do you feel now about, do you feel like it's necessary to be a clicker trainer with food or a clicker trainer with a, a marker? Or um, do you think we can, you know, we can take off from Elsa Sinclair and figure out how to do this without those motivators? So the thing about motivators is it makes everything faster. Faster. Yeah, exactly. And I joke that freedom-based training, which I do, is the slowest method of training a horse on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, the upside of that is I have a lot of students who practice freedom-based training now. And what I find is it teaches feel and timing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the best horse trainers in the world have come across horses that were more difficult, that, you know, didn't respond to the motivators as well as every other horse. And if you ask any really great horse trainer, they're going to say those really difficult horses were the ones they learned the most Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. because they had to hone their feel and timing to a bigger degree. And what I found is that if you take some time to do freedom-based training, even the really lovely, kind, generous horses will say, oh, look, the door is open for me to explain how much better your feel and timing could be. They're the professors. So I guess that just begs the question of if we could say that a marker makes it go faster, Mm -hmm. couldn't we create, if we were really, really tuned into our horse, couldn't we create a marker that is a touch like you did? Absolutely. So, but the thing is, it's not the marker that's powerful. It's what the marker signifies. Right. And okay. without the food reward, it's just such a low intensity. Mm-hmm. It takes a very, very long time to develop that as it's still going to be a motivator. You know, if Mirna touches my hand mm-hmm. and she knows I'm going to stop and take a deep breath, that's still a motivator for her. Mm-hmm. But it took us months to build that as a reliable motivator. Whereas mm-hmm. a food reward, you can build within an hour. Yeah. Yeah. But your timing doesn't get as good as Elsa's and Mirna's. Right. So, and that's it, what this is for. Yeah, exactly. And if somebody really wants a relationship with their horse, that would be the ideal. That first ride that you took on the beach was, I mean, I don't know if that was the first one that's in the movie, but that ocean scene, um, talk about trust your horse, trust no equipment, trust yourself, trust your seat. Um, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And the baby running along, spoiler alert on that too. But, um, 
But is there anybody that we need to give credit to in this besides Myrna and Elsa and and um, all those people that support your your Taming Wild documentary? Anybody else you want to throw a thank you out to? Oh, you know, there are so many that I should throw a thank you out to. Um, probably the biggest one, though, is my mother. Mm. My mother has always been sort of a maverick and... She loved giving us all challenges. As a child, she taught all of my friends to ride horses. Mm. And she loved to give us a puzzle to figure out without giving us the answer. Mm. And she would do things like at a certain point, I had a whole bunch of teenage students I was teaching. And I was probably in my early 20s. And my mother showed up at the barn one day and she said, I don't think we need bits anymore. And she literally took all of the bridles out of the barn. And she said, you guys can figure it out. And for her. <laughs> that is so cool. I love mothers like that. The challengers. Are you going to be a lifelong learner? <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Good so, girl. And you've got a daughter, Cameron Sinclair. Is she into horses too? She is. Yes. She's actually headed to Florida to study three-day eventing shortly. Oh. And, you know, as it is, we've got a lot of generations of horse trainers in the family. But as it often happens, we've each gone sort of a slightly separate way. So, you know, where my grandfather was into show jumpers and my mother taught children and I've gone the route of, you know, no tools at all. My daughter's sort of drifting back into the more competitive world of three-day eventing. So we can all appreciate each other while also having a slightly different look on things. Yeah, what a brain pool you guys have. I I wanted to get you on because this just reminded me, the premise anyway, before I even knew Elsa, who I love, um, is dad always says, Monty Roberts says, the good trainer can get the horse to do almost anything, but the great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. And I think that's what you captured here, Elsa. Um, And it's so great to have it documented that we can actually train so that the horse understands and actually acknowledges that it's okay to be with humans on their own, on their own scale, on their own time. Yeah. And I think that Monty is right on in his saying there. It really, it's profound and it's not all or nothing black or white. I think it's a spectrum to what degree is the horse doing it because they have to and to what degree are they doing it because they want to? Right, exactly. So we'll have to have you over to the farm sometime, get you uh, down the down the coast to solving, and we get you playing with the deer. If you think that oh flight mechanism God. isn't, yeah, it's very tuned in, and it's a lot of you fun. You know, I have to say, Monty was a huge inspiration for me. Even though a lot of the stuff he does uses tools for the expediency of training, his theories hold true. You know, a lot of times I would say, okay, here's where I am and here's what I need to develop. You know, what would some of the other great trainers in the world, including Monty do? What theories would they apply? And how would I apply those theories if I didn't have the tool? Very nice. Thank you. Well, I I, think you, you mentioned it in the movie that you were working in intrinsic learning and that is so much him. He would, he would he would go all into well he does with the deer <laughs> we don't yeah. have any bridles on the deer no saddles no. and and I think you know I think that's where he's honed his timing and intrinsic learning is the one word for that whole concept I think if you had anything to put on it yep 
Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're aiming for. And I think his work with the deer has really been inspirational for me. Thank you. Um, Thank you. That's so nice. We I will share take that. All these theories and we put them together as best we can and then see what comes out of it. And we test them on the horses and see if they hold up. That's what we do. <laughs> well, you've got some more documentaries out there. Tell us about that. So after the first documentary, people loved it. I was really surprised how welcome it was in the world. And the question I often got back is, so this was a clean, fresh slate from the wild. She knew nothing about people. Would this still work with a horse that had really bad experiences with people, that didn't trust people? Could you still give them choice and have it work? And then the other question I got is, that's all well and good, but could you do it faster? Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> you have challenges. Um, I really didn't know the answer to either of those questions, but I had a good friend in Costa Rica who had always wanted to go across the country of Costa Rica from coast to coast with horses. And she invited me to do it with her. And I said, what if we do it with rescue horses who've had a really tough time with people? And we set it up so we're doing the trip and training as we go and we film it. So my friend Andrea Wadey said, that sounds like a great idea. And we gathered together a crew and some people to go with us. And we had a good friend who led the pack horse, who was a really beautiful mare, who was confident. So hopefully our two rescued geldings would follow the mare and, you know, we would have to put as little pressure on them as possible. But the idea is if we traveled large distances, maybe that would speed up the process of building trust. And if they were following a really pretty mare across the country, maybe we wouldn't have to put a lot of pressure on them to travel large Mm. distances. We could just keep them company as we went. Yeah. Great idea. How fun. And we get to see that now. (laughs) Is it out there? Yes. So that's the second documentary we did. It's called Taming Wild Pura Vida, which is pure life. They say it all the time in Costa Rica, Pura Vida, Pura Vida. And yeah, it it was an amazing journey. We took two weeks. It was far more successful than I actually thought it was going to be. The horse that I got, Andrea actually got it from the meat market. And it was just Mm. her bidding against all of the meat men. Mm. And she won the bid. And then the locals very kindly came up to her and said, congratulations on your new horse. Please never, ever try and ride that one. Oh, (laughs) And she called me up and she said, Elsa, I think I've made a terrible mistake. I made a big mistake. (laughs) You wonder, right? Yeah. I said, you know what? It's okay if I just walk all the way across the country with this horse and build trust without ever riding it. I'm okay with that. And she said, okay. Um, Well, don't don't tell us. (laughs) We'll never know until we see it. If she gets the <laughs> or not, I love Jesus. That's okay. But people yeah. will have to watch. People will have to watch. Elsa, thank you so much for joining us. I, I hope we can have you back and talk a little bit more. Maybe not give away all our secrets, but 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 talk a little bit more about this timing and, and new projects that you have. Would you would you come back sometime? I would love to. I'm in the process of filming a third Taming Wild movie. So if you ever are curious, we are partway through the filming process just now. How fun. Yes, I definitely want to hear about that. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And I'm coming to you now to talk about the Monty Roberts Online University. You know, 
There ought to be six months in everybody's life where they just live with their animals. I've been staying home. But three months now, I've been home with this virus thing. And the things I'm learning, we're bringing you a new series. What horses see, how horses see, and about horses seeing things. The online university is bringing you the last three years of my learning process, which I promise you is the learningest years I ever spent. The Monty Roberts Online University. Uh, you won't miss a minute of it if you get started on it. I love bringing it to you, and it's my shot to take my concepts to the next generation. Tyler Robertson is a tour de force when it comes to equine and portraiture subject matter. His large contemporary approach has led to many successes and to his painting being collected all over the world. His paintings have an incredible sense of power and movement. The scale alone allows you to really feel the action and become a part of the scene. Tyler says, I love to paint on a large scale. I want to lead the viewer around the painting, feeling immersed. His trademark style often incorporates paper decoupage along with the texture of the paint. In 2016, Tyler was chosen as the official artist of the Breeders' Cup. His painting graced the front cover of their program, and Tyler teamed up with select brands, assisting them to launch clothing lines, too. He is represented in the Crossgate Gallery Sporting Art Auction at Keeneland Racetrack. This places Tyler's work alongside great artists such as Andre Pater, Kwong Ho, Leroy Neiman, and Peter Howell. Tyler enthuses, I want to give people my best work, work that's contemporary but will remain classic. Tyler doesn't miss an opportunity to use his talents to give back. Since his official entrance into the art scene, he has raised more than $50,000 for charities in Louisville and across the country. He's not shy to work in front of a crowd. Each year, he donates his time to several charities and paints during events to then have the completed painting auctioned off to raise funds. Well, welcome. We've got two renowned artists on the line, and I'm really happy to have you both on at the same time. I thought it'd be kind of fun to do a little artist session here, too, between Tyler Robertson and Pat Roberts, both artists and both in, you You all worked in different kinds of mediums. Tyler, I'll start with you. You caught my eye. Friend of mine, Natasha, friend of ours, Natasha told me about your work and that you've done a lot of work. Well, you're in Kentucky, right? Is that where you are now? Yes. Yes, I am, Debbie. Great. Great to have you on. And she says that you are a tour de force in Kentucky and that you are not only wonderful for the equestrian world down there and raise a lot of funds for charities and everything else, too, but you made the cover of the official, you were the official artist of the Breeders' Cup, and you made the front cover of their program, and and you're just a young man who's really moving and shaking in the equestrian world. So I wanted to talk to you about some of that and bring mom in here first to say, um, I know, what was your impression, mom? You were looking through all the portfolio of Tyler's on his beautiful site, tylerrobertsonart.com, and doesn't it just make you want to Go ride a racehorse or something or polo? Yeah, almost. <laughs> Seriously. You are very, very talented. And I really enjoyed looking through here and looking at all your various topics, but mm-hmm. mostly horse racing, which, mm-hmm. of course, we love too because that's what we do here on Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California, mm-hmm. long ways from Louisville. 
That's right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed over here. I didn't, I wasn't prepared for so many compliments and, uh, and, and all this positivity here. Yeah. Natasha did say a tour de force, which I thought was a nice choice of words. It, it feels good. So yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. And horse racing is kind of a, a large part of what I do. Of course, being here in Kentucky and I've kind of become friends with a, a lot of people in the business. So just kind of been a big, big part of my, what my focus is on a lot of my artwork. Mm-hmm. It's seriously powerful and moving big pieces and I would say tips to the more modern side, but there's horses through and through there. Tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you get horses going on in your art? Well, I, I did not grow up in, in Louisville, Kentucky. I just kind of ended up here through a mutual friend and I actually moved to Louisville on Derby Day. I didn't realize it was Derby Day at the time. <laughs> so I, I moved in and actually just I, just a few miles down from Churchill Downs. And so as I'm, you know, moving my furniture in and, and every time I go out to my car to get the next load to move into my apartment, you know, people are stopping and asking if I need a ride, you know, to the track and this and that. And I'm just, I'm so confused about what is happening and I just thought everybody was super friendly, which they are, but people are offering me rides down place. I was, I was very confused. And as I um, went through school, I became very close friends with a group of guys in the, in the equine program there at, at university of Louisville. And they introduced me to horse racing and showed me everything that was about me being from um, East of Indianapolis. I was used to, uh, open wheel IndyCar racing. So it took me a while to understand why anyone would want to watch something that's traveling very slowly. I'm used to watching cars go at 30 <laughs> miles per hour, but then I was completely hooked in the culture of, of, of horse racing and everything that goes on with it, you know, front side, backside, um, learning to look at horses, you know, seeing what people are looking at when they're buying horses and which really helped me out when it came to painting them later on for commission work, because you have to look at them so much in such a different way, uh, just they're looking through the eyes of like an owner, which they look at things, you know, very, very detail oriented. So as I became close to these, these, uh, this close group of guys and and was getting into my painting career. That's just kind of what I started with. Uh, I wanted to give some gifts, people who were buying new houses or um, getting married or having children. And so I thought, well, I'll paint a racehorse and, and um, I got some really good feedback from it and it just kind of took off from there. So I just practiced and stayed with it. And, you know, one thing led to another and then, you know, and then commission work came along and that's just kind of always been my that's that's my real focus, and and I'm such a, a lover of the of the sport and the culture that um, if I'm not painting something else, I'm painting horse racing. Nice. Well, nice. You do it's a wonderful exciting. polo horse as well. Mm-hmm. I'm at some of your paintings here on my uh, computer, and you you capture the movement, and I I really appreciate that because uh, movement is everything with with sculpture, as you can imagine with with bronze trying to make it move. And so I'm looking at what you've accomplished here and you do beautiful work. Thank you. Well, yeah, movement is a big part of what I want to really communicate. That's also why I do 
such large scale and it's hard to portray that in 2d format it's hard to portray that online but you know i would say the average size of my paintings is a, is a 36 by 48 i do mm-hmm. smaller but I, I don't like it you know i like using big house brushes i like using you know lots of paint uh i like a lot of messiness in there and uh, i just want it to be you know i just want it to move a lot so I'm, I'm glad i'm glad that you picked up on that i'm glad you like it and yes you're absolutely right it's the same type of thing with sculpture where you're trying to you know communicate the way this horse is you know almost like what its next step is going to be in a stagnant um picture or statue absolutely and do you mostly work in acrylic or or are you i do i i do and some people frown upon that sometimes people think acrylic is this kind of like you know sometimes People assume it's oil. I, I dabble in some oil in there, especially if I'm trying to lay something nice and uh, opaque and nice and thick on top of an acrylic painting. But mm-hmm. I love working at acrylics for a couple of reasons. One, I'm very impatient. I've always been impatient. I'm o- I'm always in a hurry. My anxiousness just like takes over me. I have been since I was very young. I always like to just like work through a painting. If I can sit for eight hours, six hours, if I'm on a roll, four hours, 12 hours, whatever it's got to be to just do a painting. That's, that's my ideal situation. Just work it until it's done. And that's why I like about acrylics is they, they dry quick. I can, I can mix in a lot of mediums to get the, the thickness I want. It's clean. I can use water to wash it. So I, I do work primarily in, in acrylics, but also mix in some oils here and there, a lot of oil sticks, spray paint, house paint. I love I love using house paint. I love the way it, I love the, I love the way it dries. I love how 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 bright it is. I love that you can get big giant cans of it and, and so you can imagine that my studio is, is quite a mess, but I do love <laughs> house paint and acrylics. So No, I, I, I understand. I, I, I get it. Mm. Uh if mm-hmm. you if you are uh, using oil for a painting as large as you like to uh, to create, it takes forever. You know, oil takes a long time to to dry, and uh, so I I what you're doing is beautiful work. Thank you. Tell me about confirmation. You seem to nail this now. Not being growing up around horses and everything, did you have somebody criticizing uh, owners maybe on the commission pieces? How do you work with all that and get this so right because it looks good? Well, that's 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 a great question, and you know, I think it's I think it comes from I go to all the sales. My best friend in the world, my brother-in-law. John Hess is a, is a, does equine insurance and, and he walks me through and has shown me from day one, taking me to horse sales, taking me to Keeneland, uh, taking me to Phasic Tipton. And, you know, I'm looking at these horses with these people and going through the books, talking to vets and really trying to understand what people are looking for. Uh, and I have had my share of, doing a commission piece and getting it back saying, you know, that hip is a little bit low, you know, it's a little bit. And to me, I would, you know, I would, <laughs> I would never see it in a thousand years, but yeah. that's just, that's the way it is. It's the way to look at it. So I, um, I, I have gotten some, some criticisms here and there, but I encourage that. I try to tell people right away. I say, look, 
you know, I see this differently than you do. So don't hold back. You know, I want it to be right. So mm-hmm. you tell me what you see and we, and we will fix it. And commission work is, it can be tough, especially dealing with, with a horse or a horse and rider, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's a specific jockey that you really got to get it right. And it is nerve wracking. It's like painting somebody's child. Yeah. Oh, I've got all kinds of stories about that. Yeah. Sure. Of course. I'm, I'm, I'm I sure. really and, understand. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they see them different, you know, I'm, I don't know this person. So I'm, I, or this horse or this, you know, this situation. And so what they have invested in emotionally, I'm trying to, you know, capture, you know, through, through paint. So that's why I love having, you know, even if I'm working with a gallery, I like to have a conversation with the person that I'm working with. I don't like to go through a third party because I, I want to have that connection and I want to, I want them to understand that I'm here to help communicate this as best as possible. And, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of back and forth that needs to happen to make it, make it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what you two have in common besides good confirmation and good horsemanship is you're not shy to work in front of a crowd so Tyler, tell us a little bit about some of the time that you donate to charities. Oh my! Well, yeah, I um, first time I did it, I was a total mess. <laughs> I was, I, you know, you say yes to everything, especially as an artist. You just say yep, and you know, I'll figure it out. I don't shy away from talking to people publicly. Uh, it doesn't really bother me. Mostly, I pretend. I pretend it doesn't bother me, and if I <laughs> pretend long enough, then it uh, then it kind of works out. So. Aww. I do a lot of live paintings, not so much anymore. It just, it's work has gotten very busy. So I had to cut back a little bit, but I do a lot of live paintings for different charities throughout the year. I have a few that I still really hang closely with and and work with. And usually over the course of, you know, sometimes like an hour, hour and a half, like a cocktail hour, I'll work a, a large piece that will then be donated upon. And it gives me an opportunity to paint in front of people. It gives people an opportunity to, you know, watch it kind of come to life and they, they kind of have a story to tell. And then that piece gets auctioned off, you know, later on during the auction and uh, help raise money for these, these different places. And there's been some really, really great pieces come out of those. I've had some great, times doing it i love being in front of people i love painting in a tuxedo that's like one of my favorite things yeah yeah i love i love doing that i'm still wearing an apron but i am i am being careful and i've had some very i've had some very difficult situations i was thinking about that on the way here before you called one time i came down literally with the flu in the middle of a painting mm. Um, and it just, oh, it just, I, I felt it come on the chills. I started sweating. I started, and oh I was goodness. like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? So it's, I've had some great ones. I've had some, some, some difficult ones, difficult situations being out in the heat, you know, all of a sudden it gets dark or the lighting's bad or, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great way to find out and think on your feet and make decisions on the fly. So I, I, uh, I encourage anyone to, to do that is to, uh, paint live in front of a large group of people. It'll it'll help you grow for sure. Well, I've be... had a little experience with quick yeah. draws. I was going to well say... imagine doing yeah. a sculpture, and you have a time element of like an hour. And when it's finished, it's auctioned off. But then you can take it home and do a little little touch up on it. You know, but 
it's been fun. You know, I, I, it really helped me get faster because I've, I've, uh, over the years, I've been really slow. And, and, uh, when I did my first quick draw in about, about well, 10 years ago, I guess at, at, um, uh, in Wickenburg, I found myself after that, just getting faster and faster and, and do something that's meaningful. Yeah. You have to I make decisions you. and just go with it. Yeah. yeah well, likewise. I commend you. Thank yeah. So, yeah. So what's the, what is the biggest downfall of doing speed like that? Do you just not be, is it hard to set up the scale of the horse or is it uh, difficult to get your clay warmed up mom? Or <laughs> What's the oh, biggest yeah. challenge? Well, yeah. The biggest challenge is getting your clay warmed up. Yeah. And, uh, it just so happened that, that the first two that I ever did, your dad was there and uh, I put him to work and uh, it ah. really helped. It made a big difference too. And in fact, my horse, it was a horse standing up on his hind legs and feeling good, I think was the name of it. And it was the high selling uh, oh. uh, piece of art. So I was really stoked about it. And so was uh, Maudie. I love that you do that. And you have Giant Steps uh, in Sonoma County, Sonoma, California, I think it is. Giant yes. Steps Charity Classic, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And you raise money to fund their mission. What is their mission? So we can throw it out here for them. Their Their mission is to... Young children who who need help physically are either physically or mentally challenged and, and, and are doing therapeutic work. They work closely with horses, and so oh. they bring they bring these horses um, to them and teach them lessons and teach them love and caring and and um, and some riding skills and some life lessons uh, using equine animals. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So now, do you go out to the racetrack uh, quite a bit? Um, what's your contribution to the thoroughbred industry? Gambling? <laughs> uh, I've I've given my my fair share to gambling. <laughs> you know, yeah, I go to the racetrack as often as I can. Uh, you know, I go to Churchill, of course, all the time because it's in my hometown. I go to Keeneland even more so because it's just down the road. Um, I've traveled out to Del Mar. I've been out to LA. I've not been to, um, Saratoga yet. Unfortunately, I know that's like, that's like mm-hmm. on my list of places to go, but I do. And I go, I love watching them run. I, I love, I, I have a lot of clients out there. I have a lot of trainers and owners and, and jockeys. Um, I like to bring friends and family out there and just, um, show people what it's all about, you know, and just, and just doing it right and enjoying the day I've been rained on years and years and years but it's still it's still fun it's still fun so i i I do try to get there it's a great place to bring a sketchbook and and take some notes and take things in and get inspired yeah great i i just think you know that uh Horsemanship is not complete without art. I, I really believe that because I think you guys inspire both in bronze that'll last forever. I mean, you know, we still find bronze from Roman times and beyond, right? And right. and art that that gets people back into the industry, seeing these horses in, in beauty through the eyes of you artists and the rest of the world, like me, who cannot draw stick figures, just so appreciate you. And we know we our part is to invest in your work. So, where where do people find your your art? What's your website, Tyler? And how do they find you? The website is just first and last name Tyler Robertson Art. And that's kind of a landing page, you know, for people who I uh, encounter. I travel a lot just with my family and to get inspiration, and so. I hand out a lot of business cards because I'm always, you know, doing like a gouache sketchbook and and trying to 
do some color study and capturing things. Mm-hmm. Most people find me through my Instagram, uh, which mm-hmm. is just Tyler Robertson art also. So Instagram is a big part of what I do. It's where I kind of keep up with people and uh, kind of do the day-to-day things. So that's, that's the biggest, the biggest part of what it is. And, and just word of mouth, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have done a lot of work for a lot of owners and trainers and, and horse clubs. So, you know, when they, when they get that next big race or they get that next, you know, winning horse, a lot of times they're gracious enough to reach back out to me and say, Hey, you know, mm. we just, we just nailed it on this race. We want to capture it. You know, yeah. can you do this for us? Yeah, what a great way to capture it, too. Better than some dusty trophy. Another dusty trophy up on the, on the Another mantle. trophy. Another trophy for the mantle. Come on. Four let's, things. Let's, let's yeah. make something fun. Let's, let's get some feeling in there. Exactly. exactly. I love your feeling in there, too. And, Mom, your bronze is found on a, on a website that you've got, patrobertssculpture.com. What will people find there? They will find... <laughs> about, let's see, I'm trying to think how many years, probably 60 years worth of work. Yeah. Yeah. I've, well, maybe maybe a little less than 60, but I on my uh, website, you'll see the very first bronze that I ever did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I try to keep it up, and I'm lacking the last three, but I'll catch up within a few months now. You're I'm, a true I'm artist. I'm really good true at that, artist. you know. Uh, <laughs> other people are much better than that. Uh, you know, I, I prefer to do my art and let somebody else do everything else. So and we'll, we'll help you way. catch up. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're doing what your skill sets um, are meant to be. So um, both of you, that's wonderful. I'm glad to turn the listeners on to you and the artists and behind horsemanship and really glad to have you on. Tyler, when you do something again that's um, that you want to talk to us about, please, would you be back on? I would love to have you back on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love talking to you and Pat. It's, it's, it's great to hear your voice and talk to you. I've, I've dabbled in uh, looking at some of your things. I'm, I'm so envious of sculpture and bronze work. I love to, to give a shot at, at trying to capture my own uh, take on horse racing in bronze, but I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I'm not sure <laughs> if I have the patience for it or not. So uh, that's the one thing about what I do versus what you do. You at least can have instant gratification. Bronzes <laughs> take so long, you know, and it does. Or it it does for me. Even though I did get a little faster after the quick draws, it still takes a long time. Well, maybe we'll have Monty out there to Kentucky to warm up the clay, and we'll get Tyler in it. Yeah. There you go. That's what we That's do. right. <laughs> well, thank you both for taking your time out today. And I know you guys' schedule is crazy. So thank you so much for being on Horsemanship Radio. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in the magic in the language of the Dear Monty, what is the most subtle evidence of acceptance from a horse? Working with a Mustang who I've never seen lick and chew, blink, sigh, yawn, yet I've gotten him through haltering and even putting on a bareback pad. Do I need to go way back to the beginning? I have not done a join up. He's at a rescue and they don't have perfect facilities. Monty's answer. 
Please keep in mind that licking and chewing is a manifestation of the reduction of adrenaline. It is a sign of relaxation. I cannot remember a single Mustang who didn't eventually lick and chew. You don't have complete relaxation and you ought to continue to try and get it. Read all you can about join up, send away and invite in repeating this process until you get relaxation. Learn as much as possible what the human should do and what could be expected from the horse. Licking and chewing and lowering the head are two very important gestures. I guarantee you, you will get it when you successfully conduct the human gestures I have outlined for the join-up process. I would suggest not going much further until you cause this relaxation to occur. The facility is not important. The actions are find or create an enclosure that has sides that are at least five to five and a half feet in height, straight up and down. For safety, if you use panels, a clearance from the ground of 10 to 14 inches is best. A diameter of 16 meters is right for a saddle horse, about 50 feet across, remembering that every two feet adds four around. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. October 23 through 25, we have our Horse Sense and Healing. Then November 6th, we have a lot in November, so pay attention here. We've got November 6th through 8th, we've got Intro Course Module 4, and that's preparing for the intro exams. Then we jump back into the, from the beginning, the Module 1 is November 10 through 12th. That's First Steps to Monty's Methods. Then we have a Horse Sense and Healing, actually, in between that, 13 through 15. So if you know anybody for that, Ring me. And then we've got October, sorry, November 17 through 19. We've got introductory course module two. That's join up. And then on November 20 through 22, we've got introductory course module three. That's long lining. Now we've come full circle. Okay. And then in December, we have module four. December one through three will be module four. And that's preparing for those intro exams. And then December four through six, we have the Horse Sense and Healing Program. And long-term planning, February 8th, we have another Monty special training. So did you commit that to memory? Wowzers, not all of it. There's a lot going on at uh, yeah. Flag is Up Farms. And for now, at least, Monty's going to hang out there. Yep. That's right. No COVID travel yet. No yep. travel just yet. But, you know, by February, that might change. Things might be uh, changing up a little bit. But in the nice. meanwhile, you can go to MontyRoberts.com and get the schedule as well as lots, lots more. MontyRoberts.com got a facelift recently, and it is beautiful and so easy to navigate. Mm, we love it. Yeah. Yes. And the Monty's calendar, you can call people too. You know, we have nice people there at the office. Adam at the office will answer at 805-688-6288. There you go. And then, yep. For and details about today's show, what about it? Go to horsemanshipradio.com where you find links, photos, and more information about our guests. I hope. Lots of information, actually. We have some good stuff up there. And as always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook. We have facebook.com, Monty Roberts. And then we have Twitter, which is a Monty underscore Roberts. And my beautiful Instagram I love, which is Monty underscore Roberts again. And to get the app, that's the easiest way to listen to all of us horse radio shows on the Horse Radio Network. Go to iTunes or Android or any place else that you get your favorite podcasts. There you go. And many, 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 many thanks to 
our sponsors, because this show literally wouldn't happen without them. Finish Line Fencing, the only and original warranted fence of its sort. So if you are looking to install fencing around your new property, did you buy a COVID farm instead of a COVID pony? You need to check out Finish Line Fencing. It's great stuff. And as well, Monty Roberts University helps make this show happen. Absolutely. And you you know, I did have a friend who bought herself a farm on her birthday. Is that close enough? <laughs> pretty That's fun. awesome. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. Well, she's moving near her family. So, you know, there's there's some give there. But <laughs> oh, I had to sure buy to- it. It's near my family. I like it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a big family too. So be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. 